Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Welcome to City Church. I don't know if it's your first time here. I suspect that there may be one or two of you worshiping with us either online or in person for the first time. I'm so glad that you did that. And, you know, you came at a, at a good time. Well, it depends. It depends on how this goes, whether we know whether it's a good time or not. But we, we are, we are, we're beginning a, a new a, a sort of mini-series. We've been doing a series in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, and we did the first three chapters. And now we just want to... Uh, take some time to look at a very, very important topic. I'm so good at doing this over the next three weeks. All right. Um, so we titled the 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 <laughs> the <laughs> this color uh, is giving me Mount Zion vibes. <laughs> Maybe it's a foretaste of what's going to happen. Yes, we titled the series "Not Today, Satan." Not today, Satan. Maybe turn to your neighbor and say, not today, Satan. <laughs> Some people are saying, uh, uh, no, yeah. there's no Satan. He said that now we are inviting him to come. Don't worry, we are dealing with him this morning. Amen. You know, the truth is, reality isn't only reflected in, by the things that we see. Ultimate reality to determine whether things are real is not only reflected in the things that we are able to see. Because if reality or things exist, the things that exist can be seen. If only the things that exist can be seen, then you can't know, for instance, that I love my wife, neither can you know that electricity exists. Why? Because you've never seen love, nor have you ever seen electricity. Have you? Have you? Uh, no, I have seen love. If you have seen love, can you put it in a bottle for me so that I can see? However, if you don't believe that I love my wife because you can't see my love, why don't you just try and attack her? <laughs> or if you don't believe electricity exists because you've never seen it, why don't you just grab a naked, powered cable? Very quickly, you will see that the things that are not observed with our eyes, they really do exist. You see, unseen things prove their existence through the evidence that they demonstrate to that existence. Are we following? The fact that you cannot see doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And many times they prove their existence through evidence to show that they truly do exist. As it is with electricity and it is with love, so it is with what we'll call the spiritual world. We have spiritual beings that exist. We cannot see them, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. In the spiritual world, you have both the good and you have the evil, and they prove their existence through various interventions in this world. The good part of the good world is presided over the one who created all things. That is God. 
And then we have beings like angels and all of those things. But let's take the evil world. Some people say, well, I don't believe in a devil. I don't believe in demons. But even our God tells us sometimes that they exist. Sometimes we see, you know, it's one thing to say somebody uh, stole some things from a particular house. You say, ah, oh, very bad. He, didn't, he had bad training, home training and all of that. But there are some gruesome murders that you see. Maybe a man raping a child, and after he's raped the child, he kills the child. And you'll be like, there is something else behind this. This just doesn't seem what? Ordinary. This is evil that goes beyond humanity. You are very right. And what we feel in our gut is confirmed to us over and over and over again in the Bible. It tells us that ultimate evil is, if you like, embodied, though it doesn't have a body, but is ultimately encompassed in an evil being. Now, this evil being doesn't have a name. Often in the Bible, it's called the evil one, but we know the evil being by two other titles that he holds. One, we call the devil. The other one, we call the Satan. Now, it's the Satan, not Satan isn't his name. Satan just means adversary, the adversary. But because we are very used to removing the the, we will be calling it Satan. We'll just call him Satan like it's his name, all right? The devil or the Satan. And as Emmanuel showed us a few weeks ago, quoting a, a, um, a former British writer, a Christian writer called C.S. Lewis. And I'm just going to paraphrase. The devil and those who are under him, his demons, they love nothing else than to continue to manifest in our lives through our ignorance. And that ignorance about them is manifested in two ways. One, he wants you to be so obsessed, completely obsessed with them. And two, he wants you to completely ignore them. And both of these are rooted in ignorance so that because the enemy thrives particularly where we are ignorant. But we are not ignorant of his schemes. Because today, next week, and the week after, what we are going to do is that we are going to meaningfully engage with Satan's existence so that we can recognize how he operates, and so that we can continue to have victory over him again and again and again. Amen. Amen. And so this series, we are going to take it somehow, I want to, us to read a particular parable of Jesus. We're going to structure it around this parable. It's in Matthew chapter 13. It tells us about, it's a parable of the kingdom of God, and it tells us both how it's spread, but also how it's opposed. And this is a very popular one, but I'm going to use it as a sort of metaphor to talk about the, uh, the different sermons that we're going to look at in this series. So let's read Matthew 13, verse th verses 3 to 8. Matthew 13, verses 3 to 8. Have we got it? 13, 3 to all right. And very soon we'll go to verse uh, 18 and 19, so ha have that uh, there. Then he told them many things in the parable in parable, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he went scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, let's forget about verse 8. In verse 7, you see three ways in which the seed did not germinate. And I want to suggest to us, because later in the interpretation, when you read from verse 18, Jesus tells us that it is about the growth and the advance of the kingdom of God. And I want to suggest to us that in those three ways where the seed was not able to produce, you have three different kinds of strategic interventions that Satan makes in the, in the growth of the kingdom of God and therefore in our lives, all of us that call upon the name of the Lord. Are you following me? And what we want to do with this series, week one, week two, week three, is that we'll look individually at those three strategies and we want to be able to understand again that Satan, we want to see, let me, let me be clear, this series is not about knowing more about Satan. It's actually to know about Satan to defeat him. Are we following? And so we want to understand these things and therefore learn how to completely have victory over him. Now someone will say, three of them, now in the interpretation, you only see him appear explicitly in one of them, right? We'll see that. You know what? Go to verse 18. Verse 18 and 19. Matthew 13, 18 and 19. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, if you read the other ones, you don't see the evil one come in. And so we then think that maybe this means that the only time Satan is operating is in the first one, but he's not operating in the other two. But actually, the truth is that he's only just gone stealth in the other two. Satan is not like many of us. You see, many of us, we like to reap where we have not sown. We like to get credit when, you know, somebody else has done the work in your office, but you are the manager, so you get the credit. But Satan, at this point, see, he doesn't care how the kingdom of God does not, uh, uh, doesn't spread. Satan has no business. He doesn't even care about whether you give him credit or not as long as the kingdom of God does not spread. Are you following me? So in the other two parts, he doesn't appear, but he has gone stealth. And we are like, ah, Satan is not there. And he said, I've just caught this one as well. So in the next couple of weeks, I said, we're going to look at all of these three. And today we are looking at the first one. The first one. Now, in that 13 to 18, uh, 18 to 19, we see the first satanic strategy. Notice what he says. No, go back to 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, turn to your neighbor and say, does not understand it. <laughs> the first satanic strategy is rooted in spiritual ignorance when we don't understand. It is rooted in spiritual ignorance. And he has a way of thriving in our spiritual ignorance. He uses various means, but the, the strategy is still the same. If I can keep them spiritually ignorant, I'll have a field day with them. But that field day is going to end this morning. Amen. 
And you see this, he operates through names of Satan, through some other names that he's given. And I want to take you to some of the names in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 9 verse 11 and in Revelation 12 verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says there. And the great dragon, this is Revelation 12 verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So we are talking about the person we've been talking about, right? The what? Say it together. The what? Name number one. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then in verse 10, he gives us another name. For the what? Second name of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before God? And in Revelation 9 verse 11, we are told about another one. It says, they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon. But for us in English, it is what? The, the, the deceiver, the accuser, and the destroyer. You know why? Because he uses the means of lies to first deceive and accuse so that he can then destroy people. He uses the means of lies to deceive and accuse to the end that he will destroy people. But as Jesus said to his disciples at one point, he said, Behold, I saw Satan fall as lightning from the heavens. I pray that Satan will fall as lightning in our lives today in the name of Jesus. I pray that every place he has entered to deceive or to accuse, today the Lord will expose them. And so that's why we titled this Defeating Satanic Lies. And we're looking at it under three headings, defeating the deceiver, defeating the accuser, and defeating the what? The destroyer. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we know that there is an evil kingdom. We know that he exists. We know that he hates us. We know that he's coming for us. But there is a greater reality, and it is that you exist. It is that Jesus is Lord. It is that the Holy Spirit is advancing the kingdom of God. So, Lord, we pray this morning, just as Jesus saw Satan fall down as lightning, Father, we pray that there will be a disgracing of our enemy this morning in the name of Jesus. We pray for the entrance of your word. We pray, O oh God, for light. We pray, O oh God, for liberation. We pray, O oh God, for setting people free this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for a defeating of satanic strategies. Father, we pray that you will come down today, manifest your presence, and pull down strongholds and demolish arguments this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray, knowing that you will do mighty things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I should want today, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures, so we're not going to necessarily, or oh, I did read some text for us, a uh, text for us, and we'll look at it, but it's really a launch pad uh, into a whole scriptural survey that we'll have this morning. But let's start with the first point, defeating the deceiver. And back to that text that oh, I did read for us. In verse 3, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, Paul is telling us that we are engaged in an unconventional war. We don't wage war the way the world does. It is an unconventional war. 
And it's unconventional because of the weapons that we have and how we use them. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with, what, are not the weapons of the world. Why is it that we don't fight in the way of the world? Why is it that the weapons we use are different? It's because the enemy that we are fighting does not fight in the way we normally expect. We already said it, that he is a deceiver. Let me explain something to you. It is true, and please make no mistake, don't allow anybody to use enlightenment to help you. It is true that the enemy demonizes people. You know what I mean by demonizes people? Right? Demonizes. You know when somebody is speaking with a particular voice and you're like, what happened? You know, some of us were in a leader's meeting yesterday and then we asked uh, our wonderful Lola to contribute. Lola, where's Lola? Uh, Lola is there. Lola was, you know, and all of a sudden, Lola, beautiful Lola with a nice voice, Lola started speaking like a man. <laughs> some of us said, not today, Satan. <laughs> I, have, you, have you captured the, 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 the series is tomorrow? But there is a true thing like demonization where the enemy or one of his demons captures a person totally and has an effect on them, it is true. But it's also true that it is not that common. Now, the fact that it's not that common does not mean that the enemy is not commonly at work. He is commonly at work through a particular means. You see, it is not common that we see demonization because for some reason he doesn't have easy access to an entire person. So he uses a means that he's very common, that he commonly is able to um, uh, uh, use through us. He uses what? Our minds. He uses what? Our minds. And when he does so, he, he's not, he doesn't have to appear. And he say, ah, it was devil that was teaching me here. No. He uses ideas and he uses it through people. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. He says this. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow what? Deceiving spirits. Follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And somebody will say, when did we go to the demonic school? But look, follow what he says. He says such teachings come through what? Through who? Hypocritical. That means it comes through people. The devil is at work through teachings that are what? Anti what God has taught. And it is through what? Demons. So that's why in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10, he says our warfare, when we enter into this warfare and we have the power to demolish strongholds, what are we demolishing? We are demolishing arguments. We are demolishing God-opposing ideas, every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. Knowledge. And then we are demolishing Christ opposing thoughts. It's about argument. It's about ideas. It's about thoughts. Let's go further. I don't know how many of you are like me, are multilingual. How many people here? <laughs> you know, and, and you know, here's one thing we, don't, we do know about trying to speak another language. And when you speak another language, if it's not your normal language, it's hard. It, if, in fact, it starts to give you a headache, right? And I, when I mean other language, I don't even mean like it can be the same language but in a different accent. You know some of you that when you travel to England, UK, you now start speaking, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> don't lie. When you are trying to speak in the accent of another one, at some point, it starts to give you what? 
headache. When we try and speak, maybe the, those that are Igbo here, you try and speak, you buy a little bit, you try, but after a while, it starts to give you what? Headache. But when we speak our native language, when we speak the language we are most familiar with, we speak it with ease, isn't it? Because it's difficult to speak something that is not native to us. But it is easy to speak something that is native to us. Can I tell you, if Satan tried to speak the truth, he would get a headache. It is, he cannot speak the truth. Listen to what John 8, 44 says. It says, you belong to your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is what? None. None. There is no truth in him. When he lies, what does he do? He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and what? The father of lies were birthed from him. And when he says the father of lies, he says from the very beginning. And there's something you need to understand here about lies, and especially most of us who are Christians here. When it talks about the first time, when's the first time we see the devil appear in the Bible? In the Garden of Eden, right? He was speaking, God had created the whole, uh, uh, the world. He created Adam and Eve. He told Adam and Eve, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but this particular what? Tree, you will not eat. In the day you eat it, you will surely die. Genesis chapter 3. The devil, as a serpent, goes to meet Eve and he says what? Did God, did God what? Did God what? In other words, Satan does not start to appear or attack you in your life until you have a word from God. In other words, Satan is the most uncreative being. He lacks total ingenuity. He needs something from God to be able to twist to be able to now perform his own agenda. Did God say he needed the truth to be able to twist the truth and then bring that to Eve and that is what, that is at the heart of deception. Did God say? Because you see, truth is eternal, lies are temporary. Truth is eternal because it comes from God. Forever, O God, your word is what? Settled in heaven. His word is forever true. Let God be true and let all men be liars. So truth comes from God because God is eternal. So if Satan is bringing something else, because Satan is not, is not a creator, Satan is created himself, for him to effect his own agenda, he needs truth first to be able to twist the truth and then come. And that is why he never just comes to us in a very, very explicit way. Did God what? Say. He's always twisting. That's why in that 1 Timothy 4 that we read, what is it that he was doing? Verse 3 and verse 4. What is it with those hypocritical liars? What were they doing? Listen to what he says. He says, They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. What was he doing? He was taking the good truths about marriage and food and he was twisting them. That's why he said, Every, Everything God created is good and nothing is to be what? Rejected. Pork is sweet. That's why when it's some nice juicy bacon, you know that fat in between there? It's really good. Try it. 
But you see, at the heart of it, as I said, he takes certain things that are true, true about you, but then he, he puts some doubt. And sometimes he's relentless. With Eve, he was doing it in a garden. But with the Lord Jesus Christ, he was doing it in the wilderness. And he was relentless. I want to show you how he did that. In Matthew chapter 4, look at verses 3, 6, and 9. What does he say? The tempter came to him and said, say it with me. If you are the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. Verse 6. Again, if you are the son of God. Excuse me, is he not the son of God? But he just adds the word if. Just to twist it. Uh, did God say that you are his son? Why don't you prove it? Or why don't you do these things first? And then we will know. He comes to twist, twist, twist the truth. Or in verse 9, he says, all this I will give you. Before he says all this, I will give you. If you see in Luke chapter uh, 4, verse, I think Luke chapter 4, verse 6, what he says he will give him, he said he took him to a high mountain. He says, all these kingdoms have been given to me, and I will give it to you. I will, he said, all dominion has been given to me, and I will give it to you. But it is true that dominion was given. It just was never given to him. But he what? He twists it. He twists it. He is the father of lies. So what truths has he started to twist in your life? There is such a thing as beauty. It is true. But he's asking you, are you beautiful? Are you sure you are beautiful? Let me tell you something for all the ladies because it seems you seem to be interested in this thing. Beauty is not a function. Beauty is not a, is not a function of some kind of abstract standard of the world. Beauty is a function of the one who made you and whose image you are made. If you, if you are ugly, then God is ugly because you are the image of God. But he says that you are fearfully and what? Wonderfully made. But he says, are you sure that you are beautiful? Do you really have enough to give away? All of a sudden, when it's time to give away, that is when we Christians become master of Excel sheets. Because by the time I subtract this one, I subtract that, I subtract that. Are you sure? This one, I'm going to enter controversy, but just allow me. We have to demolish some of these lies. Are you sure your boss is not oppressing you? Do you think that you are really good enough? Do you deserve her? Do you deserve him? He is twisting truths that exist and he puts doubt inside our minds because he is the father of lies. In the name of Jesus, we bind you this morning. Because these distorted statements are the arguments and the thoughts that we must demolish. And so how are we to demolish it? How does Jesus then combat him? How does he wage warfare against him? Well, he does so not in the way Eve does. Jesus combats him with three words that are absolutely terrifying to Satan. It is what? It is written. If you ever want to push back the deception of Satan, just say what? It is written. In verse 4, he said, Jesus answered, it is what? Written. And when he says it's written, he's quoting scripture. Verse 7, what does he say? Jesus answered, it is also written, in case you didn't hear. Verse 10, he came again. It is away with, uh, from me, Satan, for it is what? Written. We must become masters of the word of God. 
Because what Jesus essentially was doing was that Satan was bringing darkness. He was bringing darkness with his, li- uh, with his lies. But Jesus was countering the darkness with light of truth. For the entrance of God's word brings what? Light. And understanding to the simple, Psalm 119, verse 130. And I'm saying this, guys, it is fashionable now for people to be saying, hey, me, I don't really know the word of God. You know me, I don't know Bible. You are, you are, you are, you are claiming your own ignorance, and Satan is busy slapping you up and down. We must become masters of the word. Amen. Because Satan is relentless. Many times we are slumbering, we are asleep, and we don't know that it's in that sleep, sleep all this, this, this spiritual sleep that we're experiencing, that Satan is at work. There was another parable in that same Matthew 13. It's about the tares, and the, it's about wheat and tares. And you notice what it says about how the tares or I don't, the wheat grow. Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. That the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. He sowed good seed in his field. But while every... No, forget the King James is better. While men slept... May God awaken us from our slumber. While men slept. While men slept. You see, whilst we are asleep, Satan starts to inject things in us that we don't even see and we don't know is growing. He says, while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Then the wheat sprouted and formed heads but then the weeds also appeared. How did it, how, how, did, how, did, how did my children get to, to this kind of state? How did it do this kind of thing? Ah, we were asleep. Let me explain. Recently, my wife and I went for, it's called PTC, Parents Teachers Conference. Otherwise known as Open Day, Open Day. We went for Open Day. That one makes more sense. We went to go and find out about what, how our children were spending the money that we were putting in their school. <laughs> they aren't doing badly. So we finished with Timmy, our younger one, then we went upstairs to Tofumi's class. And we, we, we looked at his work, his work was good. The teacher said wonderful things about him. But as we were coming to the end, the teacher said, but sir, can I, I want to ask you to do something for me. She said, what? I said, what? She said, I want you to talk to parents. Now, she knew I was a pastor, so I was like, okay. She said, I want you to talk to parents. She then told me a story about two years ago, but she was saying it's still a problem now. Two years ago, she noticed that one girl in her class, so her class is primary five or primary six, one girl in her class was hiding somewhere, and there were some people around her, but she was just hiding in a place. So she went to meet her, and saw the girl was a bit dejected, and she was trying to ask her, what's going on? And the girl didn't want to talk. And so she pushed and pushed and confronted her. You have to tell me what's going on. So eventually the girl said, there's a WhatsApp group that the children have, that the, the, the students had, and she was being bullied. In, in so much, she was just bullied up and about and everything. And she was feeling so bad, but she didn't want to, she didn't want to appear before the others. So the teacher said, no, you don't have to feel bad. Don't believe anything that they've said about you. Don't, all of those things. And then she now said, ah, you should. She now said, he said, she said, you should be able to be better than this. She now said, because, this teacher, greater is he that is in you. No, no. You should tell the girl, and the girl was. What, 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 what's that? What, teacher, what? 
So you realize the girl didn't understand. So she helped her complete. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So, but she had to address this thing with the class, this whole bullying thing, because she realized some of them also were being bullied. So she used it to talk about bullying in general. And she was exhorting them, and particularly the ones that have been bullied. And she now said, you guys should not be bullied. You guys should believe who God is in you. Why? Because greater is he that is in you. None of the children. None of the children. And she said, what kind of children are we raising? She said, I am a teacher. She said, we spend so much money investing in our children's education. We are spending money teaching them about coding. We are spending money putting them in all these social clubs and said they don't even understand the Bible. And guess what was the worst thing about this whole stuff? The person that was speaking to me was a hijab-wearing Muslim. Turn to your neighbor and say, wild men slept. May God not disgrace us that we who are exposed to the life of God in the word of God, we count it as a common thing. And somebody that is not as exposed to it comes and says, why are you still asleep? A hijab-wearing Muslim. And so I want you to understand why Satan does this thing is that Satan is on a disempowering mission. Whenever we accept the lies of Satan, we are disempowered. That's why when Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, God says, Adam, where are you? Not where are you? Like God could see where he was, but that God had given him dominion. And when he had taken Satan's life, he had fallen from a place of dominion down. So where are you? How did you get to this place? Who told you you were naked? And some of us, I must ask this question. Where are you? That deception must come down. Because Satan is on, an, he's on, a, he's on a disempowering mission with his lies. But can I tell you that his deception only has power over us to the extent that we remain ignorant. We can gain power back. Because God is on an empowering mission. Do you know how? Let me show you. Ephesians 1 verse 17. Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. He's praying that something great must happen to them. And notice what he says. He says, I keep, I keep continually asking God that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know. Turn to your neighbor and say, you may know. You may know know him better. He wants you to know him better. But again, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that, you see, it, it has come again. In order what? You may know. We skip some of them so that you know your ho- the hope of your calling, the incomparable great riches that you have. But I want to point this one out. He says, so that you may know his incomparably great power for us who what? Believe. Do you notice? For us who what? Believe. How great is this power? How great is this power that has been given to us? He says, that power is the same mighty... It is the same mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. The only reason we are not operating in this power is because we don't know. But I have prayed for you that you may know. You see, Satan is disempowering us by putting us in ignorance. But the only way we push back is if we can say, Satan, it is written. Because let me tell you a secret. Do you know that Satan can get tired? He can get tired of troubling you. Do you know how I know that? If you refuse to be deceived, if you tell him it is written and he comes, if you tell him it is written again and he still comes back, if you tell him it is written, read Matthew 4 verse 11, what does he say? 
Matthew 4, verse 11. After Jesus had told him, it is written, it is written, it is written, he said, then the devil did what? May God allow the devil to leave you. May you be so empowered with the word that you will weary Satan. That Satan, the next time he encounters you, say, well, just leave that one because she will go to suck power from me. That's why it is important. You see, when Paul was talking to Timothy, that one, um, Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2 that we said, doctrines of devils and those things. And then he then says that he told them that the teachings were to abstain from food and all of those things. Notice what he says for Timothy. He says, if you point out the fact that to these people that, that the things that God has created, verse 6, the things that God has created are good, notice what he said. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus nourished on the truths, nourished on the truths of, of faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Notice, Jesus quoted scripture. We have to bring back scriptural, mem- scriptural memorization. Don't just say you are doing it for your children. Do it for your children and for yourself. There's one thing to have scripture to be able to memorize, but also we have to be nourished Notice, he didn't say we should snack on the good teachings of the faith. He said you should be what? Nourished. Let's have your equivalent scripture, uh, your teachings of five a day. Let's have the spiritual five a day. You must nourish yourselves on the teachings of faith. You will only be able to, do, you'll only be able to push back against the enemy's deception if we can be nourished. Amen. Amen. And here's the jackpot there. After a while, if you have battled Satan's deception, and sometimes it wearies us, because it takes power from us. When he leaves you, God will send angels to come and minister to you. He says, the, the devil left him and angels came to attend. You see, isn't that Jesus? He said, but angels, who are angels? Are they not ministering spirits that are sent to those who are the heirs of salvation? Who is the heir of salvation? We are joint heirs with Christ. And so by the time we battle the Satan's deception with the things that we know, eventually he leaves us and God sends angels to come and minister to us. Amen? Amen. That takes me to my second point. If it's in the accuser. You see, some of us have already been deceived. That's the truth. And we have to be honest. You fell for Satan's deception. See, your first deliverance is admitting that first. That I, I, I fell. He got me. Because if you don't, you are setting yourself up for the next phase. There's a phase two. Because if you fall in for deception, don't think that Satan is finished there. Ah, no. <laughs> he will say, we just started. Because in the falling state of being deceived, you know what happens? Often we feel ashamed. And when we feel ashamed, when we feel ashamed, he isolates us. You see, most times when people are ashamed, when you're embarrassed, that's when you don't come out. Irrespective of what level of uh, the... I had somebody when I was serving uh, back in the southeast. She, I remember one time, I said, ah, why aren't you going to church? She said, ah, she can't go to church this week. I said, why? She said, because she only has three clothes. And she has worn them three weeks in a row. And that she cannot go and repeat the fourth one. She was ashamed of the three clothes that she had. But what happened? It stopped her from going to what? Church, she was isolated. She retreated. In most serious things, when we have been deceived, when we are ashamed, the first thing we do is to what? Withdraw. And the lie that we believe is that in withdrawing, in people not seeing, we will be better helped. <laughs> Satan's face too has kicked in. 
What is his phase two? After isolating us in that place of isolation, he begins accusing us. He is as much as an accuser as he is what? A deceiver. Revelation 12.10, let's read that thing again. In Revelation 12.10, he says, for the accuser, he's a relentless accuser, he says, for the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown down, who what? Accuses them, how many times? Day and night. It is frequent and it is relentless. And some of you know what I'm talking about here. I am not talking about times where you have moments of self-doubt. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a concerted assault, an onslaught, a barrage at the person of your being. You think you are the one just speaking to yourself. He tells, he accuses you. How could you do that? How, with all that you know, you are, ah! And he continues. Can I say this? And I want to be careful here, but I know it is true because I've seen it. In my various counseling with people with mental illness, and I want to say this very clearly, the church is not the only place you get. If you need, if you need help in mental illness, sometimes you also need professionals. I hope you get that. But the mistake some people make is this, is to see that the mental illness can only be treated through psychological or through physiological beings. The problem there is a categorical error because it presumes that we are just psychological or physical beings. But we are psychological, we are physical, and we are what? Spiritual as well. And let me tell you, most times, people, I knew somebody, she was going through debilitating depression, but she was able to work. In fact, her work was her outlet. So she would work, 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 work. By the time she has finished work and she goes on Friday, you know what she does on Friday? She got special blinds, the ones that shut out light. She will shut it out Friday, you won't see her till Monday. I can't tell the number of people that, every, many people who have gone through depression, they love darkness, Psalm 88. Darkness is my closest friend. But what do you think happens in darkness? Nothing good. Satan puts them in darkness because inside them is darkness, and then in that place of darkness, he continues to accuse them. He continues to accuse them. If there's somebody here who has been isolated, please fight the fight of your life. Don't be isolated. Because when he gets you there, he starts to accuse you. Remember what um, Psalm 155 says. It says that the, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. <laughs> you guys did not even know when I said Psalm 155. You didn't know. There's no Psalm 155. Hey, may God deliver us from our ignorance. Amen. <laughs> yeah, Psalm 155. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there's a common saying that the idle mind is what? The devil's workshop. It is true. And the devil's workshop, can I tell you, is an accusation center. He has demons working. They, are, they work, he pays them over time. Keep on assaulting, keep on assaulting, keep on assaulting. But there is a way out. And I want to illustrate it with two people. One is who we can call the betrayer, and the other one we can call the denier. The betrayer and the denier. You can find their stories in Matthew 26, verse 69, all the way to 27, verse 10. It's about a guy called Judas and a guy called Peter. Both of them, Satan worked on both of them. We see that. With Judas, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he was the one who betrayed Jesus. If you read in John chapter 13, verse 27, listen to what he said, so that you just know that it wasn't that Judas just liked money. He did. <laughs> he was a thief. But there were other things that were at work. As soon as Judas took the bread, what does he say? Say it. 
And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was, it was night in his soul. And at the same time, it was night outside. And so he went to do what he was going to do. He went to betray Jesus. They had paid him. High priests had paid him and all of those things. So he betrayed Jesus. But you know, after he betrayed Jesus, you know, he, he, he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And there was a whole commotion. And eventually, we don't hear about Judas. But one thing we know is this. As all the disciples scattered, Judas himself was scattered. He was isolated from all the disciples. And at some point, you can read this in Matthew 27, verse 35. At some point, he felt grief. He felt remorse for the things that he had done. He saw that Jesus was condemned. When Jesus, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. He felt the guilt about what he had done. The guilt was so much that what? He returned the money. And I want you to hear what he said. After he returned the money, he said, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Don't forget that the narratives of the, of the Bible, the Gospels, all the Old Testament narratives, they give us summaries. When this guy said, I have sinned, do you, do you know what happened? He did not sleep at night. I have sinned, I have sinned. Why? Because the one who had deceived him to betray Judas said, how could you have done that, Judas? This man only ever did good to you. This man was the son of God. You yourself, when he sent you out without purse and without script, you, did you not cast out devils? Don't forget, Judas was one of the ones that cast out devils. You saw the power. He gave you power. He trusted you. In fact, he knew that there was something in you, and yet he gave you the treasure, the, 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 the purse for you to keep. And you did this to him? It's one thing to repay evil with evil, Judas, but you are terrible because you repaid his good with evil. How could you do that? You know people, Barabbas and all these criminals that should have been there, but this one was an innocent person. You have betrayed innocent blood and he put it on full blast and on repeat and he kept on going on in Judas' head over and over and over again so that even though he threw the money at their feet, he could find no rest. Eventually, how do you think he ended it? He hung himself. That is what the accuser seeks to do. And so I'm begging you once again, if you are in a place where you have been deceived, fine, none of us are without sin. We've been deceived too, but don't give space for the accuser. Don't isolate yourself. Don't believe his lies. Because there is a way out. Because Judas is not the only story. We've also got Peter. You see, Peter... He denied Jesus three times. But don't forget that when Judas, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, he denied it as he was following Jesus. All the disciples scattered. He was following Jesus. He was from a distance. So you see, his, faith, his followership and his faith, was a, it had small comma, but it was better than the others who scattered. How did that happen? How did that happen? How is it that somehow, and eventually when you find out, Peter, uh, Judas hung himself, but Peter eventually was restored. If you ever want to understand 2 Corinthians 7, where it says there is godly sorrow and there is worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow eventually leads to repentance and then life, Judas and Peter. So how is it that Peter actually was able to withstand? Because you see, Satan had worked in Peter's life too. There was a time Peter spoke revelation. 
He told Jesus, you are the son of the living God, the son of the blah, blah, the Messiah. Not too long after that, when Jesus said, I'm going to die, he said, the far be from you, you can't die. <laughs> die, care. If you die, what's going to happen to us? And so, he took Jesus aside, he rebuked him. Never, Lord. This thing shall never happen to you. He did not know that Satan was working in him. And so when Jesus responded, and this is a huge key, when Jesus responded, Jesus knew the father of lies. He knew how he used to operate. And Jesus, at the same time, knew not just the father of lies, but he knew himself. He knew what God had done, what God, how God had sent him. So when Jesus responded, he didn't respond to Peter himself. He responded to Satan and said, get thee behind me. In fact, you know, again, that's how they write, write in the Bible. I actually think that he probably sang. I actually think he sang. And when he sang, he sounded something like this. If you know it, you can sing. You can sing. It's not bad. We can dance and sing. Day, day, Saturday, day, lay me on. You guys don't know this song. I thought you'd be dancing by now. I think it may have gone something like that. And this is where I want to give you guys a huge key. Don't forget this key. This key is, take it to the bank. It will work for you. Notice, Satan was at work in Peter's life. But what did it take? It, it took our Lord Jesus, who knew who he was, and who knew how Satan operated. Jesus decided what? To speak. In the same way Jesus was not silent at his temptation, Jesus was not silent when he saw Satan speak here. When he saw Satan speak through Peter, Jesus said, I am not going to what? Keep quiet. Listen to this key. If our Lord Jesus was not silent, then we too must not be silent. You see, Paul says this. He says, we haven't, as it is written, we believe, therefore we've spoken, right? He says, we too, having the same spirit of faith, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13, we believe and therefore what? We speak. Listen, if you would open your mouth, your salvation will come. Satan is trying to bring us down, but if only we open our mouth, how does salvation come? Romans 10 verse 9 to 10 says this. It says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto what? Salvation. One of my mentors taught me something I'll never forget. He said, salvation is between the heart and the mouth. You see, it's one thing to believe, to know what you have believed, but it's another thing to know what you believe, to know who you are, but it's another thing to say it. That's why it says, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. We are people that don't keep quiet. You see, even if you say, oh, but I can't talk, I can't speak, I can't speak, you know, I am so bit, I am so 
beating down and everything. Then in the same way that Jesus spoke over Peter's life, get people to speak over you. I didn't say get people to speak on your behalf. I didn't say when somebody says, I have prayed for you. No, let them pray over you. Let people speak the truth of God's word over you. Eventually, at some point, you will speak. But listen, Satan is hell-bent on keeping us silent. And we must not be silent. Concerning what we believe. You say, but, but Femi, I'm, I'm, I'm a quiet Christian. You can be a quiet Christian. Just don't be a silent Christian. Because his onslaught is relentless. Listen, it's one thing for God to be something. We know God is God, is God right? It's another thing to demonstrate his nature by the things he's done. The nature of God and the saving acts of things that God has done, Satan can do nothing about them. Do you understand? He can do nothing about it. So here's what he can do. He can stop you from meditating on that which God is and who, what God has done so that you don't subjectively apply it to your life. Here's what I mean. 2 Corinthians um, 4, verses 3 to 4. He says this. If our gospel is hidden, it's veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? Perishing the God of this age has what? Blinded. In other words, the gospel already exists. God has done something in Christ Jesus. Are you getting it? Satan cannot undo it. But what Satan can do is that this, if our gospel, if our gospel is veiled, he veils the gospel. How? By blinding the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. He is there to try to blind us from what God has done. And when we can't see it, even when we've experienced it, even when we've experienced salvation, when he has put us in such a beaten state, we are unable to confess that which we believe because you start to even doubt whether you believe it or not. And so, the point here is this. We must believe something, and then we must speak what we believe. You see, in Revelation chapter 12, remember where we saw that he was the deceiver and the accuser, and he said that he was falling down. How did they triumph over him? It's a verse of scripture we all know very well. Revelation 12, 11. They triumphed over him by what? The blood of the Lamb. Stop. That is what God has done. God has provided a lamb for the sin that he's using to accuse you. But the truth is this. Will you tap into that? He said it wasn't just by the blood of the lamb, but what? By the word of their word, testimony. They had a testimony and they spoke about that testimony. May the Lord open your mouth this morning. Against every accusation of the enemy. Let, you, let him find that there is a word that will come out of your mouth to steal the avenger. Not today, Satan. Not today. You came to the wrong place and against the wrong people. Because we will proclaim what God has done. Amen. These strongholds will come down, I said today. You can see it all through the Psalms. The Psalms, the, the, the Psalms when they reflect, they always talk about this thing. That they know and what they would say. Just like Psalm 89 verse 1, when he was thinking about the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of Yahweh. He says, I will sing of what? The Lord's great love forever. With what? Mouth will I make known. So Psalm 91, the one we know best. Because we are really all quoting it during COVID. And it worked. It worked. We are here. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall what? Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But it does not end there, doesn't it? I will what? 
say, I didn't hear you well. I will what? Say of the Lord that he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. But verse 9 is even sweeter because it makes it more direct. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and my, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling place. Oh, see the salvation is coming. No harm. No harm. What? And no disaster. What? If you decide to keep, if you decide to keep quiet, he will. But if we speak, the Lord's deliverance will be upon our, upon our minds in the name of Jesus. We will not be silent. Not today, Satan. So don't be isolated. And don't stop speaking. Don't stop speaking. We must be nourished on the truth of the faith. We must know scripture. But at the times when we have been deceived and we even get accused, get people to speak over you and also never stop speaking because this is how we read the enemy. Amen? Amen? But there's one more step. Because finally, some people here would say something like this. The devil is in trouble. Amen? Amen. Say, you don't understand. That's what some people say. You don't understand. I have been deceived and I fell well for the accusation. And rightly so. Said rightly what? So Satan is absolutely right. I knew what I was doing. I was warned. I did it again. They came and they told me that you are being deceived. I said, no, you people are the ones that are the deceivers. And I went and I did it. And after I did it one more time, I felt now I, was now, I was now in a state of accusation. And they told me, don't be isolated. Guess what I did? I remained isolated. I have over, where I am now, I am on my, this is the last chance. And maybe you came to church today with a last chance. Maybe you tuned in online today with a what? Last chance. You don't even believe that anything good can come for you because you say, look, the state I am in right now, the state I'm in right now, I deserve it. But can I ask you a question? Is there still any hope for me? In this place that Satan has got me, he's got me by my neck, is there any hope for me? You, see, you just described what the Bible calls a lawful captive. You're a lawful captive. A lawful captive is someone who has been held captive by Satan in a righteous way. Satan has justly held you. As you've described it, you said every single thing. I knew God's word was there for me and I didn't obey it. You are a what? A lawful captive. Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied about Israel's exile, uh, Judah's exile, 100 plus years before it happened. He said they will go into exile in Babylon. Why? Because of their sin. Over and over centuries of sin. They deserved to be captives. And so he prophesied about that over a lot of chapters. But in Isaiah 49 verse 24, a question is asked. Can plunder be taken from warriors? Or lawful captives be rescued from the fears? The question you ask here is a question that the Bible has anticipated. Can the lawful captive be delivered? Is there any hope for you? Is there any, is there any, after you've broken all these laws, do you know what Satan, he says, Satan is an expert prosecutor. 
You know when he says that he is the accuser of the brothers and sisters day and night? Accusers of brothers and sisters day and night, where? Do you know where? Before God. That is, he boldly comes before God with the case of, your, of all your sins and all the ways you've messed up. He says, God, according to your own law, not my own, according to your law, I deserve to continue to accuse this person. I deserve to destroy them. I deserve to destroy them. They are lawful what? captives. And the question that you ask, can the lawful captive be delivered? With your mess and an expert prosecutor like Satan, can the lawful captive be delivered? And this is what is going through your mind. It has become like a stronghold. And you're wondering, can this stronghold be brought down? I come by the anointing of the Lord God Almighty to tell you that even the lawful captive shall be delivered. Listen, let me tell you a story. Because what you need when Satan is a prosecutor, because he's basically giving you a law court metaphor, when you have an expert prosecutor, do you know what you need? You need an elite defense advocate. Let me tell you a story about a guy called Oriental James Simpson, otherwise known as O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, maybe some of you may not have not known him because you are under the cave or you weren't born. Um, no, actually, you have been born. But O.J. Simpson was one of the most popular and most decorated American footballers, not soccer players. American footballers of all time. He was a star in high school. He was a star in the professional league. He was good looking. He was a media celebrity. After he retired, he started to broadcast. Everybody, white and black, loved OJ. But by the time we got to 1994, OJ was in a big mess. His wife, Nicole Simpson, and her friend had just been murdered. And OJ was found running away. In fact, he was on a high-speed chase. This, many people tell us, is the birth of reality TV. Literally. The chase of OJ. And so eventually he's apprehended. And when you look at the case against OJ, when you look at it, it's like, it don't be. It's finished. He, there was, it was, why do we even have to go to court? He should just go to prison. Who would not sentence him? Which juror would not sentence him? Are you following yeah. So OJ's case was stacked against him. And he had, the, the prosecutors were well-trained people. They were ready. It wasn't about whether they would be charged guilty. It's how many counts. And I said, when you have a stacked-up law against you, and you have an expert prosecutor against you, what do you need? You need an elite defense advocate. You need an advocate. There was a guy called Johnny Cochran. Johnny Cochran was the lead the lead um, uh, defense lawyer, he had a team of lawyers, but Johnny Cochran was the, the lead. And you know what expert advocates do when there is a case that is stacked up against you? You know what they do? They cannot necessarily prove your innocence, but they can find loopholes in the prosecutor's case. So they look for loopholes. And the advocate that Johnny Cochran was, eventually the prosecutors wanted to focus on murder gloves that were found at the scene of the, of the place. And so, Johnny Cochran then thought, and he's like, ah, you know what? Let us get them to make OJ put his, because they were sure that it was OJ's gloves. Because OJ had worn the gloves on TV numerous times. They look exactly like the same thing. The gloves were there, the blood was there. They said, so let him wear. For some reason, he knew there was going to be a loophole there. And so, they put the gloves on. 
OJ put the gloves on. He tried, he tried. He, he, well, you should go and look at it on, on YouTube. He was trying to forge the thing. The thing did not what? Fit. And then Johnny Cochran uttered these words. And he said it over and over and over again. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. If it doesn't what fit, you must what? Acquit. That is how, in fact, when the time the jurors sat down to actually think about the case, it was almost record time. They said him, he was what? Not guilty. I am not saying OJ was, was, uh, was true or not. I'm just telling you the facts of the case. The point is this. OJ got a what? An elite advocate because they... The, the case was stacked up against him. The prosecutor had such a wonderful case. And so he got an advocate. Shall the lawful captive be delivered? The only way they can be delivered is if what? If the Lord contends against the enemy. If the Lord contends for us. Do we have such an advocate? 1 John 2 verse 1 says this. I write this so that you will not sin, my little children. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is standing on our behalf. And you say, okay, this, this just sounds like you're moving my emotions. Because I am still guilty. What will he do? He has a plea. And that plea is taken from Colossians 2, verse 3 to 15. Oh, I feel the walls are tumbling. I feel the walls are tumbling. Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins, this is someone that is guilty. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. How? He forgave what? All our sins. What? Through some kind of legal fiction? No. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness we had a debt and he cancelled the debt how which stood against us and condemned us he has taken it away how say it together nailing it to the cross he has nailed your place to the cross so that when the satan the accuser comes and says this guilt it fits this person jesus says look at the cross it does not fit and he turns to god and he says if he does not fit Ebube. If it does not fit Chidima, then you, God, you must acquit. You are acquitted this morning. You are acquitted. You cannot be destroyed. You cannot be destroyed. Hallelujah! The walls are coming down. Hallelujah! Oh yes. You have overcome. He's overcome for us.
If I go to restaurants and I want to buy food, they don't give me extra. Right? I like our father and our father's too. Now our father's too, they put one shaki and they put one crayfish. Nobody's giving you extra because times are hard. But you see, God is not the kind of God that just allows you to just go like that. He doesn't do a thing and he tries to ration. God gives us jara. Do you understand? You see, the case that is against you, we read that he has forgiven our sins. And yet the charge of legal indebtedness has been taken away from us. For most of us, we are happy with that. But God is not just happy with that because it was Satan that brought the case. God wants to disgrace Satan. You see, after he has done that, he's still going to put disgrace upon it. Say, open back to Colossians 2. Because these walls are really coming down. I want us to read verse 15. After he has nailed it to the cross, there's still one more part there. He says what? And having disarmed the powers and authority. He did what? He made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them with the cross. Guys, whether you have been deceived, or you've been accused, or you are near being destroyed, Satan is being disgraced today. As you sing that every high thing must come down, sing from a place of faith, sing from a place of truth. He has no hold on you. Every high thing must come down. Every listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.